Good evening, TPC family. Hey, I'm coming to you from Honduras tonight. It's not exactly what I had planned or expected, but I had this awesome opportunity to travel to Honduras with Stephen Evans and Light of Life International. And I wanted to just share some things with you from Honduras, but I also want to give you an opportunity to hear a message tonight. And I'm going to tie in some of the things I'm learning here in Honduras with that message. But before we get there, I just wanted to show you a few little things here at uh, at our location. We're up in the mountains in a place called Gracias, Honduras. Uh, we're about four hours outside of San Pedro Sula, uh, which is where we flew into, and then we had a four-hour drive up into the mountains here. We are, as I said, we're standing right outside our hotel, and I want to give you a quick look at what the street looks like here in Honduras, and Gracias, right outside the hotel. As you can see, there's a lot of activity, a lot of folks, there's a lot of shops, a lot of cars, motorbikes are very common here in in Honduras. And I'll swing back around the other way. And you get to see, you see the motorbikes there behind me. Those are very, very common. So I'm gonna walk inside here as we walk into the hotel. And I'm gonna find a spot to sit down to where I can share this message with you. But this week, we've had the opportunity to just bless a lot of people here in Honduras. Uh, our team arrived on Monday. And during the during the week, we have gone out into some of the poorest villages and we've provided food uh, for, for families. Uh, we provided stuffed animals to kids for, uh, you know, just as a, as a blessing. And of course, we've had the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you can see I'm walking here into the, uh, the hotel right there over my shoulder. There's the check-in desk. We swing around here. You can see the restaurant where we've been eating every day, our breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's right here. Very nice. And then I'm just going to walk out here into the pool area where we'll just chat for a few minutes about our message for tonight. So this is an absolutely beautiful place. I know right now in Dallas, uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, it's snow and ice and freezing temperatures. But man, up here in Honduras, it's a beautiful 80 degrees. It's sunny, nice and cool weather. It's just absolutely fantastic. So you can see behind me, this is the pool area right up by the rooms. You see the rooms there, right behind me, second story. So it's just an absolutely beautiful hotel and we've had a great time. So now that I've had an opportunity to find a spot to sit, got my water bottle and take my mask off so we can talk for a few minutes. <laughs> you gotta love the mask beard. That's one thing I don't like about the masks. It's messing up my beard style, but that's okay. So here's what I just wanna share with you for a few minutes. You know. As we were flying here to Honduras, it's about uh, it's about a two hour, two and a half hour flight from Miami. We had to fly through Miami. So we had two hours to Miami, or two and a half hours to Miami, two hours here. So uh, on the flight, one of the things that uh, I had the opportunity to do is do some reading on Black History Month. And that's, that's what I'm talking to you about tonight is uh, Black History Month. Of course, you know, it's February and it is Black History Month. And, you know, honestly, one of the things that for me, uh, I've never had the opportunity to do is uh, really do research on the history of the black church here in America. So I started doing some research on that and man, I'm learning all kinds of things that, that I never knew, uh, that I never learned in school in regards to the history of the black church and the, the aspect of these saints, these brothers and sisters in the Lord, our African-American brothers and sisters who, who spent years building and preserving the Christian faith here in the United States. You know, we have so much, um, so much to be thankful for to them 
for what they have done over these years in preserving the faith. Um, you know, one of the things I, I learned was of, of many different um, uh, faithful men and women who were persecuted, who um, really stepped out in faith and they stood up against oppression. They stood up against slavery. Uh, and even those who were enslaved, um, they they reached out to a God who, who understood their plight. Uh, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I read about is sort of a perspective on the the persecuted nature of the the African American church here in the United States during slavery. And then, you know, honestly, that's something I've never, never even thought of. Um, you know, we've heard of the persecuted church in China and in, in other countries, uh, these communist countries or, or other countries that uh, you know, are very much anti-Christian or, or against anything in regards to Jesus and Christianity. But as I as I was reading the the stories of these uh, African American slaves who literally risked beatings and torture and sometimes flat out murder because they were willing to to worship. Uh, you know, a lot of the slave masters viewed religion and faith as a risk or, or a um, as a threat to the the institution of slavery. Uh, and actually, you know, a lot of these um, slave owners, a lot of them who claim to be Christians, used Christianity, used the Bible to try and keep the the African Americans enslaved, and they they twisted scripture. So it's actually a miracle that uh, the the African Americans who were enslaved adopted Christianity, the same Christianity that their slave masters tried to use to keep them enslaved. But as as I was reading through these stories, you know, the thing that I really discovered was that. Or, or what I read was that, you know, they saw in Jesus a, a God who, who wasn't sort of uh, aloof, if you will, who wasn't just out there and didn't, didn't understand what they were going through. They saw a Jesus who was persecuted, who is unjustly uh, beaten and, and whipped and murdered. Uh, just like a lot of them. And they could identify with this Jesus, this suffering servant, because they saw he suffered like they did. And and that just resonated with them. And that really drew them towards this God who understood suffering. You know, despite their, their slave masters who were trying to um, use the very same type of Jesus uh, same Christianity and twist it in a way to keep them enslaved. They found a God who was one of them, who they could identify with, and they cried out to Him. And, and, and you know, many of the the spirituals, those songs that that were written by these these incredible men and women of faith, they speak of a Jesus who understands their suffering. Uh, they also saw in the Old Testament story of the Exodus this aspect of a God 
who delivers his people. Of course, the story of the Exodus is, is his people, God's people, enslaved in Egypt. And, and there they are. They have no hope. They have no hope other than to turn to God. And, of course, that's what they do. They turn to God and they cry out to God for deliverance. Well, that's what we see with, with the African-American church as, it, as it's developed, as it grows here in the United States. That we see a, a people who reach out to a God who delivers. You know, that's one of the things we say at, at Turning Point all the time. You know, I, I pray it at every single offering. You know, we have a God who heals, saves, and delivers. And that is the aspect of the, the connection that the African-American church during slavery saw with the God of the Bible. So even though they're slave masters, the very same ones that kept them enslaved and used Christianity to try and justify slavery. These African-American slaves, this black church saw in God a suffering servant who suffered like them. They saw a, a God who delivers and they cried out to him and they found peace and comfort. You know, the word of God says that, that we, um, we can have a peace that transcends all understanding. And in Christ, Jesus said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, because you're going to have trouble in this world, but my peace I give you. And it's a peace that lasts. And that's what they found in this. So as, as I'm learning this history, I'm discovering that there is a rich spiritual heritage that we in the church today owe to the, the African-American church that, that started here in the United States in the midst of slavery. And, and these great um, heroes of the faith that were martyred because of their faith and their willingness to stand up for what they saw was just and right and true. Um, you know, I think a, a lot of times we, we take for granted um, the, the aspect of the, the, the contributions and the history of the black church and the African-American church. But as I'm reading through this, you know, here I am in Honduras. Uh, this is a whole different culture. It's a whole different people. Um, you know, we don't even speak the same language. Um, but I see in this, this, this culture, in this, um, this country, you know, a people who are, they're not enslaved in the same sense, but they are in poverty. It just, it, the poverty here in Honduras is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, we go to villages and we have the opportunity to talk with, with families that, you know, these are not tourist places, you know, that, that tourists would go to. And a lot of these families just live in abject poverty. There's no running water, there's no electricity. Um, they may have, you know, concrete homes with a doorway, but there's no door. Uh, it's a curtain. They have dirt floors. Uh, when we go, we hand them a, a bag, a grocery bag, like a Walmart, a plastic Walmart bag that you would get at any Walmart or, or Albertsons or any other grocery store. And we fill it with the sort of the staples of their diet, um, you know, flour and oil and corn, uh, sugar, salt, those type of things. And there's enough in this one grocery bag one Walmart-sized grocery bag to feed a family of four for almost a week. I mean, that's that's how um, 
how impoverished these people are here in this in this country. So, you know, as I look around here and I, and I see the poverty here, you know, I, I recognize that it's a completely different culture. But here's the thing. When we go out to the churches, and, and this is what we do. We go out to the churches at night and we preach Jesus in the churches. And I'm telling you, these churches are on fire for Jesus, despite all their poverty, despite all the, the, the things that they don't have, what they do have is a faith in Jesus. You know, on uh, Thursday night, I had the opportunity to go uh, way up into the mountains, about an hour and a half from where we are here. So, you know, we're four hours from where we flew in, uh, up into the mountains. Then I went an hour and a half even further, almost to the top of this mountain that we're on, uh, to a little church up there and had the opportunity to share the gospel with them uh, at a church service. And, you know, the pastor told me that some of the people that were there, there's probably, I don't know, 100, 120 people that showed up for the service on a Thursday night. And, I mean, they were just, they were dancing and they were singing and crying out to the Lord. Uh, but a lot of them had to walk miles just to get to church. And the the roads, there's there's no paved roads. It's all dirt roads. It's all up and down major hills, and and you know, of course, we're up in the mountains, so it's, you know, it's it's not an easy walk. So some of them left hours before church started, so they could be there at the service, and then they have to walk hours back to their homes. That's how hungry they are for the Lord. And as as I was doing that. You know, uh, being up there with them on this mountain and seeing their hunger and seeing how passionate they were for Jesus. It reminded me of what I'd been reading on the airplane in regards to the, the, the black church, the African-American church here in the United States during slavery. Uh, I, I, to me, I, I, I mean, obviously I, I don't have that experience, but I could see the, the passion that the African-American church must have had for God must have had for the gospel, uh, just like the people here in Honduras do. I mean, they are, you know, they don't have anything like we do. You know, they don't have all the blessings that we do every day. But what they do have is a faith in God. And, and I could just begin to understand for the first time in a way I never understood before, the power of faith in, in, in a community that uh, was you know, highly poor, oppressed by uh, being poor and, and oppressed in, in a country that um, really gives them no opportunity to to uh, get out of poverty. Well, as I thought through that, you know, I was really thinking the aspect of the African-American church in the time of slavery is they didn't have any hope of getting out of slavery on their own, but they did have a hope in God. And that passion I saw on the mountain no doubt is what is was carrying this African-American church through the, the time of slavery. And even into today, you know, a lot of those spirituals and a lot of that heritage we see in the African-American church and it's spilled over outside of the African-American church to the church in general. And, and again, I just can't emphasize enough how important it is for us to understand the, the aspect of the contribution of the African-American church to the church the evangelical church in America today. You know, there's another another experience I had, and it, and it really reminded me uh, of one specific story I read on the airplane. You know, one of the 
One of the stories uh, that I read on the airplane was how, you know, I kind of talked about it a little bit, but how the, the African-American church really identified with the suffering servant and, and a God who delivers. Um, you know, Paul talks about, and this is something we've talked about here a lot this week, because we've had a lot of challenges as far as logistically and several other things. But, you know, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, our light and momentary afflictions are nothing compared to the weight of the glory that is waiting for us. Well, our light and momentary afflictions, my light and momentary afflictions that I've had to suffer this week are nothing, nothing compared to what I see in the people here in Honduras in, in the life they live. Uh, yet, I see a fire in them that is, is greater than the fire that's in me. And, you know, as I, I thought about this, you know, we went to this one house um, on Thursday. We were out in distribution. Went to this one house, and there was a, a family, a four-generation family living in one house. There was a great-grandmother, grandmother, mother, and kids. Uh, I think there were five or six kids there along with the, you know, the, the mother, the grandmother, the great-grandmother. All the, all the men were out working, um, you know, doing whatever it is they were doing. So it was just all, all the women and the children there. So we had a chance to share with them. Uh, we had a chance to bless the kids with some stuffed animals. And we also had the opportunity to bless the family with, with bags of food. But as, as we shared Jesus with them, and, and it was obvious they knew the Lord uh, and that they had a passion for Jesus. You know, Stephen... Uh, Stephen Evans had a chance to pray for them. And as we're standing there praying, and I'm seeing the grandmother and the great-grandmother, they're just, they're standing there and they're just lifting their hands and they are crying out just it, with passion to Jesus. And you know, I'm, I'm not a very emotional guy, but I'm telling you, as I watched them cry out to Jesus, Again, for the very first time, uh, to a deeper level than I've ever experienced before, but certainly not to their level, I began to understand the things I had read on the airplane coming here in regards to, to people who are oppressed identifying with a, a suffering savior and calling out to a God who delivers. And man, it just overwhelmed me just in that moment. Here is a grandmother and a great-grandmother. They, they live in a house with four generations. And this is not like some 10,000 square foot house we would see in the United States. I mean, uh, there's probably maybe four or five rooms in the entire house, uh, you know, dirt everywhere. And there they are just crying out to Jesus. They've got nothing that we would consider of any value. But what they did have was a faith in God that moved me. I, man, compared to the folks here, uh, I, I live, I live like the richest person on the planet and their faith, these folks who have nothing moved me because I saw in them a genuineness, a true hunger and a passion for Jesus that I want to have seen well up in my life. And it, again, it began to help me understand in the context of black history and the black church is, is uh, I, I could just begin to understand just to a, a tiny degree the passion that some of these 
heroes of the faith within the African-American community during the time of slavery had for Jesus. And the passion they had for a God who heals, saves, and delivers. They had nothing, yet they had their faith. And I can tell you, I have a renewed, um, just a, a renewed understanding, a renewed respect for that type of faith. Uh, just seeing it in, in this family of four, or this family of four generations uh, up there at this house. And it just, everything just clicked in this one moment. It's like the Lord gave me an object lesson in what I was reading over the last few days. So, you know, one of the things I want to really encourage you when it comes to black history, if you've never done this before, is to do some research on the black church. Um, you know, in the United States, we have we have such a horrible uh, um, climate right now when it comes to race relations, when it comes to race, racial reconciliation, when it comes to racial injustice. You know, and part of uh, that is is a, is is a lot of us don't have either an understanding or, or an even a willingness to understand. Uh, and I'm not trying to cast stones at everybody, and that's not a political statement by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I'm just saying, you know, one of the things that over the four or five years that I've had to spend, uh, or the four or five trips I've had to spend here in Honduras, is I've begun to understand the Honduran culture, uh, the Honduran people, in a way I've never understood them before. And, and, and this is not a political statement, so please don't take this politically. But, you know, when I hear stories on, on the news in regards to the, the, uh, the caravans of Hondurans coming from Central America, I don't just look at that as a story anymore. I can relate in, in regards to understanding the lives some of these people may lead. Uh, because I've been here. You know, I've spent time here in Honduras. And I've met the Honduran people, and they're so, they're, they're such a, a precious people, and their faith is so precious. So when I see stories like that, uh, you know, I don't just see it as a story. I can, I can have, I have a deeper understanding because I know the people of Honduras, and I've had a chance to spend time there. And again, that, that's not a political statement. It's not about an aspect of immigration policy and all that. There's nothing to do with this. This has an aspect of, of, uh, understanding. It's an aspect of being willing to uh, learn about my brothers and sisters in the Lord here in Honduras. And you know, in the United States, we have a lot of brothers and sisters um, who who are hurting because of the, the racial uh, injustices, because of the racial discrimination and because of the lack of racial reconciliation. And I just wanna encourage you to take the time to just listen. You know, I'm not here to, to say I have the answer to racial reconciliation. I don't, I know who does, and we're gonna talk about that here in a minute. Um, but one of the things that you and I can do, uh, especially if you're not African-American, I really encourage you just to listen. And one of the ways you can listen is you can do some research. That's what I did. I just went on uh, onto the internet, started researching black history and uh, the church, the history of the black church. And man, I learned some things I had never learned before. And I have a renewed respect for the faith of the African-American community, for the heroes uh, of the faith 
in the African-American community and connecting it this week. And, it, you know, there's no doubt in my mind, it is not a mistake that the Lord put it on my heart to research the African-American church uh, while I'm coming here to Honduras and then having the experiences I've had here that connect to those things that I've learned. Uh, sort of an object lesson, if you will, saying, hey, here's the history. Now, here's an experience that connects that history to reality. Uh, so it's been very powerful for me. Um, so I really encourage you to do some some just learning and listening. Read read a book, uh, read some articles, talk to a friend of yours, maybe African-American, get some history from them. Um, you know, one of the things that the Bible says, and it's very clear, is that you know, it, we ourselves have been reconciled to God and that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. You know, Paul says, not only have we been given the ministry of reconciliation, it's, it's, it's if as God himself is pleading through us, his people, to the world around us to be reconciled to God. You know, the heartbeat of the gospel is reconciliation. And that's why we're called ministers of reconciliation. The Apostle Paul says you are ministers of reconciliation. Not only have we been reconciled, we've been given that ministry. And that's not just a matter of spiritual reconciliation with God, although that's absolutely necessary and is absolutely uh, the, the, the foundation of reconciliation. It's also a reconciliation with others within our community within our families sometimes, within our churches. Uh, if we're gonna see racial reconciliation occur in our country, it has to begin with the church. There is no other entity on the planet that has the, the authority, the spiritual authority to bring about racial reconciliation. You know, too often we, we, we abdicate that to the, to the government. And I'm telling you, there's no way the government is gonna bring about racial reconciliation. It's just not going to happen. And and politics is not going to solve the racial problem. Uh, in fact, it is just the opposite. It causes it to get even worse oftentimes. Only the church has the ability, the authority, and the power of Jesus to bring about racial reconciliation. So, uh, again, I encourage you uh, to take some steps to, to begin to listen. You know, next week I, I'm going to follow this up with some very specific steps we can take in, in advancing racial reconciliation and in, in, in recognizing the, the foundations that we stand on that began in the African-American church here in this country. Uh, we have a lot of um, gratitude we owe to the African-American church and the, the African-American heroes of the faith that preserved the traditions and the, 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 the passion they have for Jesus. You know, a lot of our, our um, uh, musical influence has to do with some of those spirituals. So uh, we, just, we just need to recognize that. And, you know, oftentimes I think we just assume that everybody who lives in America is exactly like us. You know, everybody thinks like us and everybody has the same opportunities and all that. Um, and that's not always the case. And, you know, it's, it's not a matter of, you know, saying that, you know, this person is better than the other, whatever. It's a matter of us from a Christian perspective, 
Number one, having a passion for the gospel, which means a passion for reconciliation. Number two, compassion for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And part of that compassion is understanding and learning and, and, and seeing things from their perspective, not from a political perspective, not, not from a um, uh, perspective that says, hey, I'm right, you're wrong, or trying to prove I'm right. What, no, it's not, none of that. It's a matter of just listening and, and learning and trying to see things through uh, the eyes of somebody who's different than us. You know, that's what, I, that's what happens here when I'm here in Honduras. I get to see things through the eyes of people who are different than me, who have a different experience than I do. And, and it develops in me a compassion for them. But it also renews my passion for the gospel because uh, as, as I come to a close here, the, the only person who can bring about racial reconciliation is Jesus. That's it. You know, because as I said earlier, the, the, the aspect of reconciliation begins with our vertical relationship with God. But then it needs to go out to a horizontal relationship with other people around us. So I would, I would encourage you this week just to examine your own life. You know, who do I need to be reconciled with? You know, maybe, maybe it's somebody in your family. Um, you know, maybe it's somebody in your church, a friend or, or whomever. Uh, and then think about within your community, how can I be a catalyst for racial reconciliation? And maybe that's just listening and just sitting down and having a conversation or reading a book or learning through, you know, reading articles or whatever, watching a, 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 a YouTube video or, or some sort of documentary on history, whatever it is, to make a conscious effort in being a minister of reconciliation. So that's my challenge to you. It's so important because right now, uh, you know, our country and this world is is teetering on like an, a, at the edge of a knife. It could go one way or the other. And the, the only entity on the planet that can bring true hope is the church. And that's you and me. You know, it's not some 501c3 entity. It's you and me. We are the church. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones who are called by God to be ministers of reconciliation. So I encourage you during this Black History Month to make a concerted effort to be a minister of reconciliation, to, to seek to be a catalyst for racial reconciliation here in your community, wherever it is you are, uh, and whatever context you find yourself, maybe it's at work, whatever. Just make that commitment uh, and, and, and together, we can work to bring about the hope of the gospel. We can bring about the message of Jesus and we can see God heal, save and deliver individuals, families, churches, communities, cities, states, and yes, even our country, but it begins with you and me and it has to involve racial reconciliation. So, and I just appreciate your time tonight. It's a little bit shorter tonight, but you know, here I am in Honduras. I didn't know that was gonna happen either. Um, so let me pray for you. And then I just wanna add one more thing after we pray, and then uh, I just bless you with a great evening. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you just for the men and women of the African-American church, Lord, that you raised up, 
these heroes of the faith that preserved the faith and have passed on the passion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would raise up a new generation that would have a heart, a passion for reconciliation, a compassion for their brothers and sisters, a compassion for those who are different than them, and a compassion for their communities to see racial reconciliation. Lord, I pray that you would raise up your church to stand in the authority and power you have given us through the power and blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you for doing it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm just so blessed you were with me tonight. Uh, and I'm so blessed to be able to come to you. I mean, through this amazing thing called technology all the way from Honduras. Um, you know, here at Turning Point Church, one of the things that we are committed to is being uh, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to, um, to individuals, to families, to our church members, to our community, and yes, literally around the world. So when you sow here at Turning Point Church, when you sow into this, this ministry, you're sowing into a, a ministry that is passionate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is that gospel that brings hope, that brings healing, that helps bring and see people healed, saved, and delivered in Jesus' name. So thank you so much for your partnership. And, and we just encourage you to continue to partner with us here at Turning Point Church, because when you do that, we continue to do things like this, share the gospel literally around the world, but we also do it literally around the corner uh, as we reach out to our community. You know, there's three ways you can give here at Turning Point Church if you would like to continue your partnership or, or, or become a new partner. And that's the three ways are you can give online at tpcfamily.org. You can text the word GIVE to 817-617-4378. Or you can also mail us at Turning Point Church, 10,700 Old Burleson Road, Fort Worth, Texas, 76140. And again, thank you so much for your partnership. Thank you for being with us tonight. And I look forward to seeing you in person really soon. And next week, I will share some very tangible ways we can help be ministers of reconciliation, specifically racial reconciliation, right here at Turning Point Church. God bless you guys.